Calvin called worship a marvelous theater. In worship, God calls his people. Through his word, he draws his people to heaven. And there God acts in the amphitheater of Zion. And in that holy place, he performs the greatest show on earth. Eternal life. God acts eternal life. He works grace in our hearts and gives us the role of a lifetime. No longer are we wandering aimlessly in this life, tossed to and fro, but now we have an end. And it is a glorious end to glorify the Lord and to enjoy him forever. In this marvelous theater, there is a divine script for the audience. You see, God takes center stage. God speaks first, but we do respond. Worship is not a performance of one or some, like in modern worship, with a praise band up on the stage turned up to 11. And it's not improvised or extemporized by what feels good in this age and what feels good right now. No, it's better than that. It's eternal. It's long planned and organized before the foundations of the earth. And we call this liturgy. Liturgy. We are liturgical not because we want to be old-fashioned, as in 200, 500 years ago, but old-fashioned as in 2,000, 5,000 years ago. We are liturgical because it is biblical. Take 2 Samuel 7, for example. 2 Samuel 7 is liturgical. God begins... And God speaks first in 2 Samuel 7. God takes the first stage, he takes center stage, and he does all the speaking, and then David responds. God speaks, then David speaks. There's an order here. And this is worship, verse 18. It says, then King David went in and sat before the Lord. Now the narrator reminds us here that David is king. It's King David. And King David went in and sat before the Lord. Now, this sitting before the Lord was sacramental. That is, he sat before the ark. He sat in the temple. He sat in the holy of holies as a king. And according to Torah, that's a big no-no. According to Torah, only the priests could sit before the Lord. But that's okay. David has already played the priestly role once before when he brought the ark back to Jerusalem. And there he wore the linen ephod, the priestly garments, and he conducted the service, the ceremony of leading the ark back into the holy place. And this is the narrator's way of showing us that David is special. He is a king priest. And this is worship. The king priest sat before the Lord. He sat in a holy place. It's a worship service. 
In 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 17, the beginning of 2 Samuel, the text from last week, Yahweh made a covenant with David. And in 2 Samuel, the beginning of 2 Samuel, God, Yahweh does all the speaking. Yahweh declared his promises to David. Yahweh promised, proclaimed his grace to David. And he, he literally preached the gospel to David. Yahweh did all the preaching and the speaking, and then David now responds. It's very liturgical. God speaks, David responds. And the Bible's very liturgical. God always speaks first in the Bible, and then his people respond. God always acts first, and then his people follow. God does the work first, his people receive. God calls his people, he draws his people, we come. There's movements in the Bible, and you can't change those movements at all. Those movements are founded and important. They're liturgical. And now we see David's response, his script, his role in worship. We get to see how a man after God's own heart worships the Lord. And his movements, his responses are invaluable for liturgical instruction. You see, we claim in our church to worship by God's word alone. That's sola scriptura. We worship by God's word alone. But the problem with God's word alone in worship is there's no liturgical proof text. There's no Acts 29 that says, follow this liturgy. That's because theology flows from all scripture. And so worship is with decency and order, reverence and awe. God calls, we respond. God speaks, we answer. God acts, we receive. Liturgical ordering. There's an order of worship. And we see that here in our text. Then King David went and sat before the Lord and said, he responds, now he's speaking. Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? Now, David begins with prayer. He sat before the Lord, and he begins with prayer. But he doesn't begin with a petition. He begins with humility. Who am I? Who am I to deserve all of this? You see, David responded with a confession of unworthiness, helplessness, and nothingness. And this is not self-loathing. This is liturgical. This is how we should respond before a holy God. When God gives us his grace and his mercy, we should respond. The order of response to God's grace and mercy is, who am I, O Lord, to deserve all of this? You see, we come before the Lord with heads bowed in humble reverence and awe. And our place in worship is humility. The Lord is our helper, maker of heaven and earth. And we need everything from him. Worship is God's act of grace, and it is our response of gratitude. And the liturgy must direct our attention to God. And it does this by directing our attention away from ourselves. Now, we do have a place in worship. But if you notice David's place here in worship, he does reference himself right here at the very beginning. That's the only time he references himself. He speaks to himself one time. And he says... Who am I? And what is my house to deserve all this grace? David's liturgical gaze was set above. Who am I, O Lord? And we must follow. Verse 19. 
He says, and yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. Now grace, the small thing is grace. And grace was a small thing, not because grace is small, but because the Lord is so great. And it was easy for the Lord to bless David, not because David deserved it, but because God promised it. He says, for you have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this instruction, and this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. God made promises to David. And God fulfills those promises. And David says, you've brought me so far. Who am I that you've brought me so far? And if we remember David, remember when we first met David? Remember when we first met David in his house with all of his brothers present, Samuel there to bless and anoint David, but where's David? He's nowhere because he's so insignificant. He's a little nobody, a little shepherd boy. His dad even forgets about him. <laughs> his dad forgets he's out. His dad doesn't even realize he's not even there. He's all forgotten of. But then Samuel calls him. He comes. He's anointed. And then he goes and fights Goliath. Amazing, wonderful indeed. But then he's chased out of Israel chased by the king, joins the Philistines, becomes a Philistine, acts like a Philistine, killed innocent people, plundered innocent people, almost attacked the Lord's people, but then the Lord stayed his hand and the Lord brought him back. The distance Yahweh brought David was far. And he has brought us all that far and more. We all recall I once was lost, but now I'm found. St. Augustine said it best. I quote Augustine, without God, what am I but a guide to my own destruction? David acknowledged in this prayer that he was helpless, and he acknowledged his helplessness by focusing on God's deliverance. He knew God was with him. He knew God provided for him, redeemed him, blessed him, and he knew this because God said so. And history is where God performs his great masterpiece of salvation. And our role is to offer God thanksgiving. God does the act of salvation. We offer thanksgiving. Worship is an act of gratitude. And it follows the drama of salvation. And so liturgy, therefore, needs to follow redemptive history. Liturgy needs to have a confession, who am I? And what is my house? We must see the greatness of our sins and misery. Liturgy needs law. Law shows us our sins. Law shows us our misery. Then we see God's holiness. And by the law, we fall on our knees, we bow our heads, we confess our sins to Almighty God. Who am I, O Lord? Verse 20. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. He confesses that, what can I say? Because you know. And now this knowing isn't necessarily God's omniscience. It is God's omniscience. He knows all things. But this knowing is special. This is Ephesians 1 knowing. Ephesians 1, 4. Listen to the knowledge God has of each and every one of us in Ephesians 1, 4. Ephesians 1, 4 says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, 
that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in his beloved. This is the knowledge of God's election. It's the eternal knowledge of God. This eternal knowledge is love. In love, he chose us. You see, the doctrine of election is based on God's unending love. Verse 21, because of your promise, he says, and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Now David confesses that he knows. God has knowledge, this electing love, and now David knows. And David's knowledge here is love as well. Now David's knowledge, his love is a result of God's love. God has revealed his love to David, and now David knows it. This is we love because he first loved us. Sounds kind of liturgical, doesn't it? There's an order there, isn't there? We love because God first loved us. And that's the knowledge and the truth that David confesses here. He knew God's love because God promised it. Liturgy must display this love. Liturgy must flow, flow from law to gospel. We need to see how great our sins and misery are, and then we need gospel to see how great, how greatly we've been delivered from our sins and misery. And only then will we offer God the appropriate praise and thanksgiving. It's law, then gospel. Then we praise the Lord. Verse 22, therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you and there is no God besides you according to all we have heard with our ears. How great is the Lord. He, he's heard, he's confessed his sins, his, his helplessness. He's looked to how great God is and all he can do is respond, how great, O Lord. Now as a Reformed Christian, I can't help but focus on the ears part here, <laughs> which we've heard with our ears. That's David's way of saying faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by doing? No. Faith comes by reading? Never in Scripture. It's always hearing. Faith comes by hearing the word proclaimed. We are people of the ear, and by the ear we hear, and God works his grace into our hearts. We must hear God's promises. We must hear God's love. That's the order of things, liturgical order of things in Scripture. Liturgy is not proper without hearing and hearing the Word of God. And the liturgical movements are, are, are the movements of the Word, and the movements of the Word are law and gospel. We need to hear law and gospel, and that's the right order of things. Actually, the right order of things in, in liturgy is gospel, law, Gospel. The gospel has the first word in liturgy. The gospel has the last word in liturgy. And then we are properly before the Lord. We are properly righteous in Christ and living for his glory. Verse 23, and who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making for himself a name, 
Israel was God's special people because God redeemed them. God placed his name on them. God did great things for them and doing great things for them and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And he says, for your people's sake, and you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people. Sound familiar to be your people? Here David's claiming the Abrahamic promise where God promised to be God to Israel and to his children, that they would be his people. And so he saved them. He has delivered Israel because he placed his name on them. There are two important words in verse 24. You can underline them. The first word is established, and the second word is forever. The words established and forever are used three times in verses 12 through 16. God says over and over again that he has established his people, his covenant, and they will be a people forever. And David is now repeating the promises of God back to God. He's repeating in prayer the promises of God back to God. He prayed with God's very own word. He spoke the gospel back to God. God preached the gospel, and he spoke it right back to God. He heard God's salvation, and then he declared it. That's the proper, there's an order here. It's liturgical. There's a proper order to things. God speaks his word, and we respond. That's why Colossians in the Bible everywhere tells us to preach and sing God's word. It commands us to even sing God's word. And Chris Tomlin, no, God's word. And God's word causes praise. God's word was David's praise. The logic of liturgy is the word. And what he confesses here is the doctrine of election. You see, God's election established God's people forever. God chose these people before the foundations of the earth. He established it before he established the earth. And therefore, they are God's eternal people. And so he praises the Lord. So his praise here is similar to Romans 11.33, where Paul writes, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Like Paul, David responded with praise to God's election. Because in election, we find God's place. We find that God is our sovereign Lord who has saved us from eternity. And no matter our sin or our sinful struggle, which with we will struggle our whole life long, we are the righteousness of God. Not because we've deserved it, not because we have merited, but because we have received the righteousness of Christ and we receive his obedience by faith alone. And that obedience is for us Christians and eternal righteousness forever. forever. For God so loved before the world. God so loved before the world. He chose us not because we are holy, but he predestined us. He chose us to be holy. We are delivered eternally by Christ without any merit of our own. An election means we don't have to fear time now as Christians. We don't have to fear our own sins. We don't have to worry about death. We are saved through David's house. 
David's house has saved us. And David makes that point in verse 19. I just got to back up for a minute. In verse 19, when David says, this is instruction for mankind. That word instruction is actually the Hebrew word Torah. This is Torah for mankind. This is God's prescription for mankind. This is God's will for mankind. This is God's salvation for mankind. This is the Abrahamic covenant through whom God will bless the nations through the offspring who is Jesus Christ. Christ is the true priest king. The true priest king who sat before the Lord. Christ sat before the Lord and he prayed that high priestly prayer. And in that high priestly prayer, Jesus prayed, I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost because he prayed that prayer and then he went and died on the cross and made that prayer true. He made that prayer true by his blood. And so we are found eternally in Christ. What can we give to God who has done all the work of salvation? All that David had was thanksgiving. That's what we see in this text. All that David had from God who has given him everything, all that David could offer was gratitude. And we must follow. That's the proper order of things. And so what you should see in our text this morning is just one big prayer. It's one big prayer. And so far, David has praised God for his grace, and now he offers his first petition, verse 25. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant, concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. He asks here, he petitions the Lord to confirm his word. He asks the Lord to make the word true. This is thy kingdom come stuff right here. David asked that the word would go forth and build the eternal kingdom of God. Verse 26, and your name will be magnified. Oh, hallowed be thy name. That's what I, when I first read that, I was like, oh, and your name will be magnified forever. Hallowed be thy name. He's petitioning that the Lord's name would be hallowed among God's people, that we would be magnified, that we would magnify the Lord, the God of Israel, that we would make the God of Israel, that we would present his name and glorify his name with our works and with our life. And he says, therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. The servant has found courage. David has found courage because God's word has revealed and God's word has promised salvation. David's courage in worship was God's word. And that word gave him courage to demand that God fulfill his promise. And we have the same courage because we have the same God. Verse 28, and now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true. And you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. There's a lot there, but basically he's saying because your word is true, because you have spoken, because God's word is true, because God has spoken, David can plead the promises of God demanding. He's actually demanding here. <laughs> He's demanding of God that God answer. And this is not vanity. It's obedience. Because God's word is true. 
We must ask God's word be true. David prayed for the word to act. He prayed for the word to be. He prayed for a word event. And the event is not achieved by human hands, but what happens to us and what is given to us. The event is Christ, and it is Christ washing us with his blood. It is the event of Christ's perfection, perfecting us by his sacrifice. The event is the preached word. And the preached word is an event. It is a performance in the theater of Zion where God proclaims his word to his church and he does a marvelous thing in this theater. He acts new life. He acts new creation. And all through the word of God. You see, the height of proper liturgy is the preached word. And every movement of the liturgy must lead us to this event. Every movement of the liturgy must be moving us to a Christ event, a word event where the word works. And we're baptized by the pure water of the word. And the word of God must be heard by God's people that we might act. Luther said, Martin Luther said, God's word cannot be without God's people and God's people cannot be without God's word. That's the event. 2 Samuel 7 was a covenant ceremony. God made a covenant with David. And through the preaching of the word, God renews that covenant with us today. Worship is a covenant renewal celebration. It's a covenant renewal event where God is renewing his promises to his people, where God is delivering his people, and by his word, his kingdom is coming to his people. By his word, we are now being brought forth and through and in and with the kingdom of God, and by his word, thy kingdom comes, and by his word, we now hallow. We are made holy that we might hallow God's name. And when the word is properly proclaimed, death is swallowed up in Christ's victory. We have new life. No more condemnation. No more separation. Just the proper order of things. We love because he first loved us. When the word is preached, love is the result and praise therefore is our life. So in God's marvelous theater, let us hear nothing but the word of God and let us receive the greatest performance ever, the blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.